Hello again, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 161. And today's episode, we'll have a, a brief G update because there's some things to update about her. And then I am going to, because of a number of recent things, I am going to revisit uh, a general puppy raising podcast. Uh, just a, just some real important guidelines that everybody, and I don't even care what, what breed, uh, but just some guidelines, uh, that I feel real, I don't know that I've done a good enough job communicating or I have not been as compelling about why some of this is important enough or not. So I'm going to do another, so you got your puppy and you're raising your puppy podcast, but first to get to G. So things are going you know, I've, I've showcased and also shown some video of the bumps that we've had along the way. You know, she's a, a really good pointer, but then she found out that sometimes you can go in and catch them if they're, if they're kind of nestled in somewhere. So, you know, the pointing went, as the, as the, uh, the excitement about getting the bird came up, a totally normal thing. Um, but I've shown that on some of the videos we will, when she's mature enough, address that, but you don't address that in my opinion on a puppy. So just bird exposure when it's not a hundred degrees, um, and just a few guidelines, which I'll even talk about in the puppy thing. So that part is good. Her retrieving is extremely good. Uh, she swims now. You would never know that she was once a challenged swimmer. She's a very, very good swimmer and she's a very good marker. So that's all going real well, extremely well. And then I was bumping along on the force fetch and then the pile work this the uh, the fundamentals of handling and I, I really kind of bumping along I have her sister who no bumps she just gets it and just moves on and so and G was I don't even not sure exactly what it was she just got kind of sullen and kind of kind of I don't know just kind of slow about everything well we're past that now you know, I, I don't, one, maybe one of the most important things is I don't get upset. I don't, the should thing, I don't have the shoulds. You know, you got superstar mom and dad, you should be. Um, it's, you know, I just take whatever I've got. And if we have a bad day or two or three or a week, you know, that's not fun. But uh, I, you know, I'd look at where she came from and how she's been and I just keep going. Well, now we're going the whole length of the back pile on the double T, turning both ways stopping coming in on the whistle uh picking up one bumper and coming back and she's out smiling now and waggy about it where before she was kind of sullen and mopey <laughs> i don't know she figured out it wasn't some terrible thing and so we're going to be getting ready to stop on a whistle uh, she's been forced lightly light she's a light one uh she's not one that you want to do a lot of that just a few well-placed you know, conditioning things and, and her attitude is great and she's running hard. So things have just turned to, here we are again, just sailing. So she's doing really well. Uh, love her marking really like that. And, uh, real, she never gets funny. She never gets crazy or wild or too carried away. She's, she's got a real nice stability. I think her dad put that in there. And, uh, so real nice. I'm real happy with her. Uh, she's just doing extremely well. So that's the G update. And that's a puppy that I've raised for her mother's owner, uh, Zia. And so I've raised her and I've tried to sh tell people all along, you know, what my thinking is, what we're doing, why I don't get upset, why I do it all the time, why I don't take much time off from my puppy raising, how I look at it, 
um, all of that. <clears throat> and I've, I've gotten a lot of puppies in and then I see a lot of people with puppies and then I, a bunch of people I know just had litters that just have gone home. So there's a lot of people out there now with the little eight, nine, 10 week old things. And, um, <laughs> so I'm, I want to just offer as much as I, I can to help. I got into last weekend, a nest of wieners, uh, a nest of wiener dogs from the breeder of my wiener dog, my field champion that I had gosh, 10, 15 years ago. And so I was at her place and there were wiener dogs everywhere. And there were two litters of puppies, two and two in one litter and three in the other. And so it was just, it was fantastic. But these people, and it's one of the reasons that I got my wiener dog from her to begin with is because they really work on their little puppies. And I think the ones that were there were 10 weeks old and those were the most uh, interactive socialized, uh, aware, um, a jet flew over, a fighter jet flew over and they all looked up at the sky. I mean, they were just kind of tuned in and it was, it was impressive to see, uh, these little tiny dogs, little tiny, like little sausages out there, little, and how much the, the, the work that they had done, the effect it had on those dogs. And I was really, I, and I was, that was so fun to see. And it, it made me think about, a lot of the retriever puppies and a lot of puppies at that age and how unseriously people tend to take puppies at that age. And so just like these little guys, these, these little dogs that aren't like our retrievers, they're, they're pretty motivated, but in a different way, how, um, how much progress these guys had made on those dogs. And a lot of it was calming. And I think with the wiener dog, calming is always good. And it's not that we want on our on our sporting dogs, a lot, you know, it's not calming is not the goal, but the opposite of calming is also not the goal. And I think that if people, uh, went into this, this puppy raising thing with an awareness of how important, you know, week number nine and week number 10 and week number 11 and week number 12 are, <clears throat> I think they're extremely important. And it kind of reinforced when I saw how much work these guys put in their little, and their little doxies. Cause these guys are going to be like, uh, you know, they're going to run field trials and they're going to do the show thing if they can do that. And they do agility, little wiener dogs doing agility. That that's the cutest thing you ever saw. But so they do a lot of active death related things in their lives too. And I think that the sporting dog people, um, are also well served by understanding the things that they do with these little dogs from when they first get them home. And, and I, you know, the breeder, I personally, there's a lot of things and, and a lot of the good breeders do, they do a lot of things to get these guys kind of ready to go into their new home and ready to be separated from their siblings and their, and their mother. And that's, you know, that's a real important thing. But when you get them home, the perspective that we have on these dogs is very important. And one of the reasons that I really hammer on this is because I get dogs in that are about six months old, roughly. So they've just, they've gotten out of the little puppy thing and they have all their adult teeth and they're getting kind of powerful and big and their hormones are, are moving through and they're developing that way. And, you know, that's when everybody's like, please take this dog. And... Uh, you can tell the perspective this dog has on life and its role and what it's doing and, and what the world is all about. 
that is very clear at that age. And even though I get some dogs, you know, that are excellently prepared, and I know some people listening to this right now are some of those that have had excellently prepared dogs. And those are dogs, and I'll say what, in my opinion, that is, that's a dog that understands the relationship between itself and the people in its life, the humans in its life. Whether there's one human or two or three or four humans, or they understand the relationship. And theirs is not one of predominance. It is not one of, of uh, being the one that calls the shots. <clears throat> it's being a participant, a beloved, cherished participant that is not the top of the heap, but maybe way down at, at the bottom of the heap. That doesn't mean anything negative. It just means that they're the dog, not the people. And that's a very important thing. And I'll talk a little bit about that. They also understand that they have a purpose. They have a thing. They have a reason that they are here. They have things that they do that are greater than themselves, that don't really have anything to do with who's with them and what how a toy they have. But it's it, just like those little wiener dogs. Frankly, I'll be real honest, you know, their thing is to kill stuff, go find it, dig it up, you know, trap it. That's what they do. <clears throat> and the, the ones that are well-bred, that's in them. And when they discover that, when they get their first mouse or whatever they have, it's like all of a sudden they realize what everything's about. And for, for our, our hunting and sporting dogs, for our retrievers, right? Retrieving, first thing, even before the upland birds, retrieving. Because it doesn't do much good to find an upland bird if they don't bring it to you. And so the retrieving is the thing. And so from the beginning, you want to introduce a very careful level amount of retrieving to these dogs. So if they retrieve at eight weeks, when you get them two or three retrieves, you know, and there's the hallway thing in the sock and you can do all that, but don't, as soon as you can, like summertime, let's go outside. That's what retrieving is all about. If you, you know, do it in the hallway a little bit, but go, go do it outside. Do it on your walk. Take these guys on the walk and do a couple retrieves. Now here's the real important thing, and I have to reel people in on this all the time, particularly if they have a dog that likes to retrieve a little one, more is better because, you know, they're so full of energy and they're bouncing around and they're all crazy. So let's just keep throwing and we'll wear it out. And that is really a bad thing to do. I don't care whether you have a mildly interested dog, a fairly interested dog, or an intensely nutcase, crazy interested dog. You don't want to do very many. And I'll tell you exactly why that is when you do them. Because ultimately, assuming you got a retriever for the purposes of retrieving and carrying out things for you, the it is so much easier to train that dog as a puppy and then through its you know teenage time and through its adult time and then utilize it however you plan on doing it. So much easier for the dog and so much easier for you if you don't let any bad habits develop, so important and bad habits. And I'm, I suspect that my idea of bad habits is a much larger field than most people's lots more elements to bad habit, but I'll just throw some ideas at you. So you know what I'm talking about. So if you are a hunter or you are a competitor, or you want to do things with the family, with your sporting dog hair, right? The, the retrieving part of this is one that they are with you retrieving for you. Okay. That's number one. Cause if they're not doing it for you, there's not a whole lot of point to any of this. 
First thing is they understand that. Two, that they use their eyes. You know, in eight weeks, that's hard. They don't see very far. They use their eyes to watch this thing that they're going to retrieve. Three, that they see where it is and they are focused on going to that area, coming up with it, hunting it up. And four, that it comes directly back to you calmly and efficiently. And in the beginning, you can't make them do all the trick obedience, but you can make them come in as if they were doing it. You can have a little cord or something on them, bring them back to you, have them sit down, take it out of their mouth. If they chomp down, you can easily pry it open just like they weren't doing it and take it out. So you have those four things. I'm, I'm retrieving for you, with you. I watch it. I go out where I think it landed. I look for it and I bring it right back to you in a calm and reasonable manner. So when you start the retrieving stuff with these guys, that's what you do when they're little, when they're eight, nine, 10 weeks old, they're little, right? So it's not like, it's not like they can get away with too much. So if you, if you don't need a cord or anything on them, don't have one, have them come right back to you. You know, just get a hold of their little body, have them sit down. Don't rush taking the thing out of their mouth and certainly don't pull on it. Have them sit down. Ah, good, good dog. Take it gently out of their mouth. You know, if you have to just pry open their jaws, just do it. And very, don't make this giant, insane deal about it. Oh, I get those guys in all the time. As soon as they bring something back and I take it out of their mouth, they are up and jumping, you know, so I can see what happened a million times as a puppy. That's a bad habit. Nowhere in, comp in competition, in hunting, in frisbees in the park, is that a good thing? And you don't want them chomping and biting at it. You want this to be a calm transfer of the object from the dog to you. So do that with the little guys, unless they're not very interested. And if they're not very interested and you make it even more boring, they will get less interested. That's the exception. If the dog is not very interested in this stuff, then you do have to throw the rules out and jazz them up and get the interest in it. But when you have that interest, you, do you don't do very many. And again, I'll explain why. But when you do them, you want it to be where there are no bad habits. So they know they're with you. They watch it. They don't have to be solid, steady. I'm not talking about solid, steady. But you do have to be sitting there focusing, which means you're not moving. Your eyes are doing the action, not the body. And they go out and they get it. And then they come back to you. They don't pick it up and go running the other way. That's what cords are for. If you need a cord, get it. Entice the dog back to you if they're ambivalent about coming back to you. Now you might get a little crazy, jump up and down, make funny noises, get down on the ground, throw your glove, throw your hat right by you, not far away. That's like another retrieve. If you need to entice them to come back, do that. But what you want is the mechanics of it. They're with you, they watch, they go out there where they think it is, they get it, and they come back to you. So to the best of your ability, start that. You, If you throw, you want to exercise them and get them tired because they're a handful, hey, but the focus goes out, the, the understanding exactly what they're doing, the teamwork, all of that stuff goes out. And so, you know, they're getting kind of bored and kind of tired and it's kind of fun, but their focus is just dissipating the entire time until pretty soon if they get it, maybe they come back, maybe they fly by, maybe they drop it halfway, maybe they don't let go, maybe they're trying to create and make this interesting. All the bad habits happen after about the third or fourth retrieve. So never go there. 
stop before any of that happens. You will never regret that. The If you have a dog that's mildly interested, back off all the rules and the control. But when you have one that is, if you have one that's really, really interested, implement the rules and control. Make sure they never do detract on the, the passion for this, which you can do. Don't be a boring deadhead, you know. It's like, all right, let's go. Good dog. You can get them excited about it and still hold those four pieces in place right there. So that's one thing. Don't let the bad habits begin. Only do a few retrieves. And I'm going to tell you at most I would, and you know, I just been G. G's like eight months old now or whatever it is. Right? We retrieved once a day or twice at most. That's it. That's it. You know, she's supposed to become a superstar like her mom and dad. And all that. Just a couple in the morning. Because you know why? I don't have any bad habits with her. She sits there when she runs Mark. She comes back, comes in, sits, doesn't get all crazy when I take it out of her mouth. She doesn't think she's supposed to get up and run out after to field another one. She doesn't have really any bad habits. Nice. So nice. I don't even have to worry about that. I just need to worry about her marking and putting out challenging uh, marks for her. So think about bad habits. Think And don't use retrieving. I've said this at least 50 times in these things. Don't use retrieving for exercise. Retrieving is their job. Retrieving is what they do, what they're here to do. So you want to work on the perfection of that, the mechanics of that, the interest and the passion for that. And get the exercise somewhere else. And you'll find out that if you are make them think while they're doing this stuff, if you make them think, that tires them out a lot. Because they're actually having to make their brain stay on task. And that's a hard thing for a puppy. So when you want to take a little edge off of them, make them think. That's a really, that, that's just a powerful thing. So for the retriever guys, do that. Don't use it for anything other than getting better and better at their skill and what they do and what they love and developing the focus and the precision and letting no bad habits start. No flybys, no running behind you, no not letting it go, no running the other direction. All of that you can control with a puppy, all of it. Now, if you have a seven, eight, nine, ten 10-month-old that does that, Go talk to the guy in the mirror that created all this problem and taught the dog that this is what they do because that's where your problem started. And it's very hard to have the source of the problem solve the problem. So don't be the source of problems on all this stuff. That's that's a, the easy way on this. Okay, I'm going to talk about a few more. Don't let bad habits start. A, a bad habit for a dog is to hear people talk and hear things going on and tune it out. There is no place where that is a good thing for you and your dog. There is no aspect of your life together or that dog's life where tuning out somebody saying something to it is going to be a good thing. So the way that you keep dogs from developing that response to the humans in life is to not have everybody talking to a puppy at once, not have two people doing the same thing with the dog at the same time, not having everyone trying to teach commands and everyone trying to do this and that. It, it's important. And I've had little, my kids were little when we had dogs in for training. And so the rule was just never leave them be. You know, you can carry a little plastic bat around and don't let them jump on you. But just don't, you don't need to be doing work with them. You don't need to, you can go throw something for me. 
but you don't need to be in the middle of that. And so if, if you just don't want, I don't even care if you have, you know, middle school level kids who are smart enough to, to just tell them, you know, when I'm working with the dog, you're not. And, and we can go out together and do some things, but to have a lot of people talking to the dog, either at the same time or one after the other, really dilutes that on a little undeveloped brain that is training and learning every second. So if you overwhelm a puppy with a lot of talking and noise and people and interaction and stimulation, they have no choice but to sort of start to numb it out and pay no attention. And you can always spot that in little dogs. So be very aware. A little dog cannot take all of that in. They cannot process it. They don't know. It's just a lot of stimulation and a lot of sound and people saying things. And when you do that consistently, you teach them to pay no attention to your voice or anything else. And then you get, well, we need to use the right tone of voice. No, <laughs> maybe, yeah, do that. Because what problem is if you raise your tone of voice and get mad and then enforce, then they learn to take that seriously and nothing else. Again, you don't want to teach that. So be aware of how much stimulation and interaction this little dog's brain is getting. And particularly when it's young, don't do a bunch. Just don't do a bunch. And when you're interacting with it yourself, don't talk a lot. And don't use a command eight times figuring that through association, they'll figure out what that means. You just sound like somebody back there humming some tune and it means nothing to them. So get out of the people brain if you can on this and get into the dog brain. It can't take a ton of stimulation. It can't take a ton of input. And noise just becomes noise. So work very hard in simplifying yourself and your interactions down so that they are on a little young canine level. And don't do too much. And watch when the dog, what the dog's telling you. If they're tuning you out, there's a reason they're doing that. And you have to look back at your actions and what you've done and why they're doing that. If you teach a 10, 12-week-old dog to tune you out, they learn it just like that. They go, ah, yeah, okay, they're making noise. Let's go see what this is over here. And then you're upset and then you have to, you know, get online and ask people, what do I do when my dog does this? And then somebody will tell you something to do. And the problem is that you taught the dog to not pay any attention to you. That's the problem. And so then when you start doing this other stuff that's out of context and the puppy has no idea why you're jerking it around or put a treat in the thing, whatever, it, you're still not addressing the problem. And that's you've overstimulated. You've, over, you've overtaxed their ability to assimilate and process stuff. Very often on the young guys, that's a lot of the problem. Another thing, and I tell this to everybody and they always go, yeah, oh, yes, that's true. And then they go home and do exactly whatever they want. Do not use another dog to train your puppy. Don't do that. Okay. I don't care who you are or what. <laughs> don't do it. Because when there's another dog and you and the puppy, the obvious connection is probably going to be, be between that puppy and the other dog. Okay. So right there, you're teaching them, I'm there, but don't pay any attention to me. There's no upside to that. I never let that happen. Ever. Never, ever, ever, never let that happen. Whenever I was out with G, it was G and I. Unless we were done 
and somebody came up and then we could socialize, but we were done doing our, our thing, our walk together or our set of retrieves or whatever we're doing. So she, of course she can socialize and all that. But when we're in the, you need to pay attention to me, we're developing, we're learning. There is not another dog and there is not another person. That way, you know, what gets in there, you get in there, what you need to have in there. You understand what the dog is telling you on their ability to grasp it until you're done, then you're done. So other dogs and other people is, is, does not help you. And the, the other one dog training the other dog, they do it. I'll say that, but they're training them, the two of them and you're out. And so, and even if the other, the big dog pays attention to you, the little dog is still paying attention to the big dog. So there's no, we're talking, you're developing habits you really don't want. You really don't want. I get those guys in all the time. If I'm somewhere and I let them out in the yard with the other dogs, I cease to exist that moment because there's other dogs. And that's what life is all about. So you can tell just how that dog was raised. And I have to spend a lot of time and training and kind of, you know, serious stuff to overcome what they've been taught, to override that with no, and I'm there, it's important. And you have to, you really do have to pay attention. So on a little puppy, you can prevent that. You really can. By doing your teaching and all that, the two of you alone, watching your dog, not overstimulating them, and not letting them hook up with something else while you're trying to train them. All right, this one might come as a surprise to some people. But I don't, the, the thing when people believe that they are encouraging a dog, and I've mentioned this and I know several other podcasts, encouraging their puppy. So you throw something for them and maybe it's in it's a heavier cover, or maybe it's in the water, something, it's across something that's hard to get. And so the little dog is, saw it, right? So they had the, they saw it and they're looking and they're seeing this, their perceived obstacle, whatever it is in front of them and they're considering and however they do that they're considering how to get there what this is is this dangerous how can I and their mind is on that and here comes the noise from the back right go get it good dog you can do it and all that so immediately their attention which was on how do I get over there is back on what it what are they saying what and you just pull them you basically almost pull them off of it and you think you're encouraging them because they're looking at it and trying to figure stuff out. And so you're in there as if puppies understand human words and tone of voice about, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. That doesn't really make sense. Usually if you make a sound, it's because there's some reason for it. So when a dog is mulling things out, I always call it noodling it out. They do it in the upland field. They do it on retrieves. Little guys, when they're sitting there and there's this occurrence with which they are not familiar. A lot of times they just, they, they have to noodle that out and they work out what they think. And maybe I can go over here. Is that scary? What is this water stuff? Will it kill me? I don't know what this is. And you being in the middle of it, uh, I virtually never helps. You know, if you have a little dog that's concerned about getting the water, throw a rock right in front of them in the water, splash. But don't talk because all the work that you do with these little guys, taking them on the walk, teaching them things means when I say something, I want you to, to connect with me and understand what I'm saying. That pulls the dog exact opposite direction from what it is they're trying to figure out to you. So I can't think of anywhere where I encourage a dog. Absolutely nowhere. Probably because I teach them if I say something, dude, it's important. 
So, you know, focus on something if I say it. So when they're trying to figure something out or how to get somewhere or what is this thing, or, you know, when I introduce them to birds, I don't go, go get it, hunt it up, hunt. I don't say a word because this is between the dog and the bird. And I let them work that out. Now the dog may just quit and pull off. All right, well, then I'll try some other way to get them to invest themselves in this thing. But I don't get in there and start this little chirpy, chirpy stuff because they don't take it the way we think they do. They just don't. And so the encouragement on stuff, again, talking. Talking should be very significant and very minimal when you're doing anything with a dog. Because when you do have to say something, it should be very important. It could be life-saving. You know, it, whatever, it could be something that's just like, really is just absolute must happen. That's why you talking a lot is generally counterproductive. If you want to encourage them, throw another bumper. Just let them see you throw something else. So that now we have, oh, golly, I really want to go out there. But the talking thing, not, not so good. Everybody's puppies do remember the little brain is developing. Every day they're a little further along than they were the day before. Every day they have one more day's worth of experience behind them. They have a little more practice at whatever it is you're working on with them. So just make just be aware every day you're a little bit ahead, but just watch and see the progress and make you make the adjustments, but don't be because you're pulling on the strings. The best dog trainer and dog owners are ones that let those little guys develop their thinking and develop their understanding of things. Those are the easiest dogs to train. Nowhere in this have I said, treat them like they rule the universe. Oh, you're this expensive puppy we bought and everybody loves you. And did you want another toy? And I can't think of a worse thing to do to... A working dog that has respect for what its purpose is in the world and its robustness and its intensity, and then they get treated like that. I, I don't even know what that is. Um, that is not love and that is not respect. So these guys love having a purpose and love challenge and love uh, mastery. They love that stuff. That's what you give a dog. Not 18 toys and the coolest bed and let them out every time they want out and let them in every time they want in and make sure that they have other dogs to play with and take them to the neighbor's dog so they can run around and spend their energy and go absolutely gaga nuts inside their head and be impossible to train, teach stuff after that. So I don't think most people that are that way listen to my podcast, but there isn't a dog on the planet earth that has benefited by being treated that way and never taught to respect itself and the, and the world it's in and what its purpose is. So I, I'm not even going to spend much time on that. I don't get that. And it, that is people destroying animals to suit themselves. And I don't know why, why that would happen. So enough of that. That, that one is very upsetting to me. I see it a lot. That's why I was happy to see those little wiener dogs where they were being taught, you know, Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go on that spot. Don't come in. Little wiener dog with like inch and a half legs. You know, don't jump on me. I think that's awesome. So I'm going to wind this up with some of the bad habits that go for all dogs, but certainly for our sporting dogs who tend to be very robust, very strong, <laughs> very active. Uh, they're athletes. They're very physical and they're very mentally active. So I'm going to review this again. With the little guys, when they're little, 
don't pick them up. <laughs> don't pick them up. Uh, and I know most of, most of the people in my dog world that I'm around all the time, it, that's just second nature to them. And when somebody gets a new puppy, we have a new one in the group right now. Nobody picked it up. <laughs> it was great. Puppy went over to see everybody. Everybody reached down and was sitting down and loved on it, flipped her over on her belly rubs and all that stuff. Nobody picked her up, right? So when you pick them up, you teach them that all good things come up in the air and your feet are on their body. So I know people don't like that because they want the puppy for themselves, like a baby, not what's best for the puppy. But you can teach a dog... You can't have a dog never learn about putting its feet on you if the dog never puts its feet on you. Easiest way to train a dog, never let the habit start. So if you don't pick them up and they don't learn feet up on the body, up in the body, in their face, um, if they don't learn that, then they won't do that. And then you won't have to go, how do I get this dog to quit jumping on grandma or me or the little kids? Just never let them learn that. And then they won't learn that and you won't have that problem. Similarly, um, don't let them uh, rule everything. Don't let them control everything. Don't let them hurt other animals in the family. Just don't. You know, I there's a theory, in the wiener dog people, they kind of let the dogs fight and establish dominance. I tell you, I don't even do that as, as with puppies. It's like, puppy just don't hurt something. That's it. That's just the rule here. You don't hurt me. Don't, you bet, don't sink a tooth into me or anything else. And these little guys learn that real quickly. I just, that's just not an option. There's nowhere in the world that has to happen. And my dogs aren't going to be fighting anywhere. So they don't need to learn if they're the tough guy or not. Although they already kind of know anyway. So the picking up thing, the biting thing, the noise thing. Stop the noise at the very start or you will have heck with it forever. So Again, and I'm a little bit heartless on that. When I get an eight-week-old puppy in, they go in the outside kennel. And for a few days, they can make noise if they want. But when they learn at that age that no matter what, how, how oh, so forlorn. You know, just like an abandoned animal that's going to just fade away. I let them make whatever noise they want when they're quiet. I might go out and get them and we'll go do something. But I, I, I teach those little guys right off, noise is never going to get you anything that you want. And if you keep it up, it'll start getting you things that you don't want. But stop the noise early on and you won't have the noise. Now, if you just throw them out in the yard and the neighbor dogs all run up and down barking, then that's what they're going to learn. And I can't really speak to that. But make sure that they don't have the, the noise thing. I would say, um, even on a little puppy, Folks, even a little puppy going through the door, going through the gate, you know, in and out of the vehicle, whatever it is, even on a little puppy, I teach him right off, hold on, you don't just slam through stuff, you know, you wait, I'll go through, then when, then I'll let you go through. When you teach little dogs that, so that they never know about busting through the door or knocking you to the side or coming in or on the crate, you know, teach them that when the crate door opens, I hope you travel with them that way that you stay in there until I invite you out. That includes at eight weeks. And then when you're eight months, it's a done deal. And you don't have this powerful body slamming the door against me, breaking my finger, heading out of the vehicle. So it, the bad habit prevention that I'm talking about is that stuff. 
That's not cruel. It is not cruel to make a little puppy wait in the crate till you're ready for him and put on the little leash or pick him up and set him down. Yes, you pick him up there to set him down. You don't want them jumping and ruining their little shoulders and hips for when they're adults. But it's all under your control and your decision. And you can start that at eight weeks. And I know they're cute and they're wonderful and everybody loves them. And that's great. And they'll feel that. But if you start having them behave reasonably well in the way they're going to need to and not develop those obnoxious things, then you won't have those obnoxious thing problems. And you can start them on a leash, not choke chains. That's for serious training. That's for months down the road. But you can start them with a little flat collar and a little leash. And, and when they're still small enough that you can just make sure that they come along with you, you know, you can teach them that early on too. And then when you get more serious, don't teach them that they get on the leash and pull as hard as they can, right? That doesn't have to happen. You can teach them when you're on a leash, we're together. And it's real easy when they're eight, nine, 10 weeks old. So just do it then. Just teach them, you know, every time they're pulling in front of you, change direction, jerk them to keep up with you. You can teach a lot of things. When you put those harnesses on that are the, 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 the style now, what everybody does, the humane thing, or the gentle leader, I hate that. Every time I see that, I just want to go cut that thing off. What an avoidance of the issue that is. But when, when you put on those little harnesses, well, that's just good. I got my whole body and I can put all of my drivetrain in on pulling as hard as I can. I would never use one of those things unless I needed a harness dog for some other purpose. So you can get your little flat collar, wide little flat collar, and just teach them, hey, walk on a leash with me, dude. I don't make you be perfect, but you can't pull me all over. So from the beginning, if you guys start with stuff like that, develop the love of retrieving only a few once or twice a day. And then you don't let the bad habits, the noise, the jumping, the obnoxiousness start when they're cute. It's not so bad when they're cute and little, right? It's not so bad. It's just a couple blinks of the eye and it's going to be bad because they're big and strong. And you've taught them, hey, yeah, just bust through stuff. Just, just whatever it is you want, just exert your will and we'll give it to you. And when you do that with an eight-week-old and 10-week-old and 12-week-old and 14-week-old puppy, you'll have it with a six and seven and eight-month-old powerful dog. So if you want that shortcut, the trick, don't ever start it, and then you won't have that problem. So that's my thing for today. Got going a little bit over, but but the puppy thing is really important. You can make the rest of the, that puppy's life and the training of that dog and your life with them so much easier if you think a little bit about these things and just kind of establish what the rules are and hold to them. Everyone, including the kids, can do that. Even little kids, make them a part of it. And you can have a dog that's a, just really wonderful to have and doesn't even know about some of those obnoxious things. So that's my offering today after some of the stuff I've seen lately. And uh, I, I hope everybody with puppies, you know, enjoy them. It's, a, it's so fun. And it's really fun when you are, you know, making sure bad stuff never going to grow out of what you're doing. It's a, it's a lot of fun developing the passion in those guys. So I offer that. And I hope everybody's having a really good summer. And I will be back soon with G and another one.